Well, if you've just joined us online via our live stream, welcome to you today. Uh, look, my friends, we are at a very interesting point of the gospel message of Luke. Last week, we started with this idea that there have been moments in time that have changed how humanity has seen the world. We talked about how uh, the walking man walking on the moon, uh, we could talk about world wars, COVID-19, and the list goes on and on. Events that have effectively, collectively changed us and our understanding. But there are some events that change us. Oh, that was the slide from last week. <laughs> I remember that now. But some of those events have changed us personally. These events don't necessarily change the world, but they do change us. And they change us in such a way that it has long-reaching effects. When something earth-shattering, life-changing occurs, you can't help but live differently in response to it. These events can be small. Let me tell you of a small one that happened to me. I was driving my car and I came up to a stop sign. I was turning left, nothing was coming, I went through. The problem is I didn't stop completely. I didn't stop and go S-T-O-P, I didn't bring the car, it, it was still rolling. And Mr Policeman said that was naughty. I was pulled over and I was given a ticket, as you would expect by breaking the law. And I'm not arguing about deserving the ticket because I did, I know that I didn't stop completely. But this little minor thing has changed my life completely. Every time I come to that stop sign now, I stop completely. S-T-O-P. Then I look. Then I wait a little bit longer and then I go. Right? It's changed me, right? Every time I see a stop sign, I am now more aware than ever, okay, this is a complete stop. After all, I don't want another ticket. They're not cheap. Some of these things can be massive. Some of these life-changing things can be from traumatic events, such as... Um, a friend or a loved one's tragic early passing. The tragic death of someone can help bring into uh, our minds and our perspective a sharp focus that we're not going to live forever. It might cause us to change how we view life and the way that we do certain things. Hopefully it'll teach us not to take life for granted because, after all, times with our loved one is fleeting. So this morning, I want to look at the ultimate life-changing experience. I want to look at this thing that has completely helped change not only my life and my mind and my perspective, but countless others, including yourselves. This idea of Jesus being resurrected. It's interesting that from the very moment that it happens, people's lives dramatically and radically change. We see it with the disciples. 
Once they get it in their head that Jesus is raised, they go from being timid and afraid to standing in front of 3,000 people saying, let me tell you about this God. Let me tell you about Jesus who died for you. This small band of guys hiding in a room. This small group goes on to change who Jesus Let me rephrase that. Changes how the world understands their relationship with God. Last week, we only briefly mentioned the burial of Jesus. But it helps to set the scene for today. We're told in different gospel accounts that Jesus' burial was led and organised by two prominent Jewish leaders. Uh, Nicodemus, you might remember him as the, the Pharisee who visited Jesus at night. And another Jewish leader called Joseph of Arimathea. The Gospels talk about how taking Jesus down from the cross, there was also a small group of women with them. These women took on the critical role of preparing Jesus' body to be buried. But this was late on a Friday. They had to finish quickly. Because the Sabbath was coming. As soon as the sun went down, the Sabbath had started. They needed to be done and they needed to work fast. And maybe one scholar suggests that they didn't do everything that they needed to. Because after all, the Sabbath was a day that they weren't allowed to work. It was meant to be a holy day of rest. Once they had done all that they could, they left Jesus' body in a tomb. And they sealed it with a large stone. From the Gospels, we're able to glean that these women had planned to return to the tomb after the Sabbath and finish preparing Jesus' body. They were making plans to come back and finish the job. While these women were making plans, plans to visit that tomb and anoint Jesus' dead body with the funeral spices, the Jewish leaders were concerned about the body of Jesus. Matthew's Gospel tells us that on that Saturday, Jewish leaders began to worry that uh, Jesus, well, that he would rise, that his body might be taken They're worried that they would do something to make this thing sort of explode. So they reached out to the Romans. They reached out to Pilate and they asked for guards, some guards to stand in front of the tomb. Not only that, they also put a seal on it. I've been trying to get some seal off uh, some tiles, right, where the tiling person didn't, you know, well, wasn't very good. So I... Sit there. It, it takes a lot of work to get a seal off. They wanted to, the religious leaders wanted to make sure that the disciples, Jesus' disciples, wouldn't sneak back, open the tomb, steal the body, and simply claim that he had risen. So Pilate gave them a group of guards. He sealed the tomb so that if anyone tampered with it, they would know. And then he posted Roman guards to keep watch. Now, when we say Roman guards, we're talking about the elite of the elite here, right? We're talking about soldiers, 
Now, if you didn't do your duty as a Roman soldier, uh, there were severe consequences. And they stood. They stood guard. And at the crack of dawn on Sunday morning, as soon as light hit, those women who had been preparing over the Sabbath, who had put their things into place, they carried the spices and they prepared to make the trip. They made the trip to where they had been that evening, that Friday evening when Jesus was buried. Mark's gospel tells us that along the way, these women have uh, a thought in their head. Wait a second. This tomb is sealed. How are we going to get in, right? Like, it's a big, heavy stone. I mean, like, we could get Drew and all of his muscles to roll it out of the way, but he's not there yet. Like, he's not even born. Sorry, Drew, you're right there. (laughs) They were, they were unsure how they could roll it away. We don't know if the, the women knew if the Roman soldiers had been posted. All we know is that when they arrived, that they found the stone had already been rolled away. Now, if you came along and saw an open door of a place that you're planning to go into, you know, like the shops you would go, oh, someone has prepared the way for me, so I will go in. And this is what the women do. However, they did not find the body of Jesus. It's interesting to see the women's response to this empty tomb. From our passage today, verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they had been wondering about this, Our first reaction might be, oh, maybe they went to the wrong place. Like, I I don't know, maybe maybe there was another tomb that looked exactly like that tomb. Um, I don't know if the tombs were labelled. Maybe they're sitting there going, okay, now it was the left of the fork, right? Not the... Did we take the... The women didn't immediately conclude that Jesus had risen from the dead. They're trying to work out what had happened... Even in the first century, they did not expect someone to come back to life when they had passed. And we know, we know that Jesus had passed. They were scratching their heads and they were wondering why Jesus wasn't there. I wonder if these thoughts started running through their mind. Maybe it would be the same thoughts that you and I would have if we went to visit a grave of a loved one and discovered only an empty hole in the ground where their body was buried. There's no evidence to say one person took it or another. We wouldn't for a second conclude that, hey, this person had actually somehow managed to come back to life. Well, that's to say, unless we were in a zombie movie. These women's minds began to to race and they started to panic and go through all the possibilities of trying to explain why the body was missing. Now, fortunately for us, they're given a little assistance. 
They're given some thought to move them to where they need to get to. And that's when the two angels appear to them. Verse 4. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleaming like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed their faces down to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? The angels offer this rebuke. It's a silly question, right? Why are you looking for a living person among the dead? But the question makes sense. You don't do that unless you have a good reason to think that's where they'll be. The angels wanted the women to see that Jesus was not dead, but that he was alive and well. After all, that was not what the women were expecting. It didn't compute. They struggled to get their mind around it until suddenly it clicked. These women had seen Jesus' dead body. They weren't seeking a living person but a dead one. Now the angels say and take a little bit more of a direct approach. Verse 6, he is not here, he has risen. It's a plain statement. It goes on to tell, the angels go on to tell them, remember how he told you why he was alive with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rose, raised again. It's then that these women, they're reminded of Jesus' word. And when the angel tells them, they, well, they're reminded that they shouldn't be surprised. It's a reminder that Jesus had promised them this would happen. Now, we have this beautiful insight called 2,000 Years of Perspective. It seems a little bit absurd to us today, right, if these women didn't work it out straight away that Jesus had come back to life on the third day. But their response isn't really uh, surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to us. These women had had their entire world fall apart. These women were distraught. They had been following the one that they were thought that would lead the world into a new era of peace. They were following that leader who turned out to be brutally murdered. None of this is making sense until God prompts, until the angels remind them, This is what Jesus said. And after they began to put the pieces together, these women ran back to tell the disciples what they'd seen. I can almost picture picture the disciples back in someone's house, hiding, afraid of the, the Romans coming to take them away. I can imagine these women running in, sprinting the whole way back. They arrive breathless. I can imagine them trying to speak in short, excited sentences, talking over the top of each other as they try to catch their breath. Jesus, body, God, angel, he's risen. 
And the response of the disciples wasn't to jump up straight away and run to the tomb. No, no, they discounted this, this response. They didn't jump like this was news they were waiting for. In fact, they responded with the complete opposite. They didn't believe a word that these people, these women, had said. The NIV says that they thought the woman's words seemed like nonsense. You wouldn't dare say that to a woman today, right? Especially your wife. Woman, your words are... are, are uh, utter nonsense. What is this laundry and hanging it out? I, I do not understand. The disciples in Luke have, are painted as being close, being around the body. They're close. They're around during the crucifixion. They saw that Jesus had died. And what they thought was that this is just such a, a fanciful story, a wishful thinking. Now, we also understand, right, that in Jewish society, women didn't have as many rights uh, as men. They weren't allowed to give witness in court. If you would commit a crime uh, and the only witnesses were women, uh, you could basically go free because their testimony wasn't admissible in court. Maybe this is why the part of the, maybe this has been part of why the disciples didn't believe these women. Because women seem to be such unreliable witnesses. I find it fascinating constantly that every gospel account points to women being the first to discover that Jesus had risen. Women were the first to proclaim the good news. They were the first eyewitnesses on the scene. And I believe the Bible accurately records their testimony. It's interesting because scholars will say that this is one of the arguments favouring the Bible record being accurate historically instead of an elaborate fiction or fabrication created by the disciples. After all, if you were to make up a story about how you had, uh, Jesus had risen from the dead, you wouldn't put women as your star witnesses because their testimony was routinely and repeatedly ignored. But since that is what actually happened, that is what the Bible has recorded for us. Now, fortunately for you and for me and for all those others who confess Christ today and in, and in recent history, these women were persistent in their story. And some of the disciples said, look, we'll go check it out. Luke tells us that Peter, Peter was one of the first. He got up and he ran to the tomb. John says that Peter and John both did. And there isn't really a... a, a, con, a contradiction here just different emphasis it makes sense that John would mention that he also had run to the tomb to see him for himself but when Peter had arrived at the tomb he saw that indeed it was empty all that was left were the strips of cloth that Jesus had been wrapped in one guy I read said maybe they walked into the tomb and the cloth still had the body shape of Jesus. But it was hollow. 
They looked in the strips and they discovered that Jesus' body was nowhere to be found. And like the women, Peter did not immediately conclude that Jesus had risen. See, in our text today, we still have that idea, right? That he went away wondering what had happened. And what I find so fascinating about this account, what I find so fascinating about the resurrection, that once Peter and the other disciples finally understood what had happened, they were changed forever. At Jesus' arrest, the disciples are pictured as those who are in hiding, those who are trying to not be associated, those who, dare I say it, seem to be ashamed that they followed this guy who had been cruelly crucified. But when they get that Jesus had risen from the dead... They start to proclaim the message to those who hadn't heard it before. They started travelling far and wide to share that message. They become bold and don't necessarily hide it. Even when the, the leaders, religious and political ones, put pressure on them, they do not deny because of what they had witnessed. When the disciples grasped what had happened, it emboldened in them their faith. So we've got to ask the question, how is this? Why is this? What are we to take? How does the resurrection embolden our faith? And I want to tell you, the resurrection should embolden our faith because it proves several things. The first is that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus claimed to be God and that he would sacrifice himself to provide a way for all people to have access to forgiveness. When Jesus was killed, his followers assumed it proved that he wasn't who he said he was. But when he rose from the dead, it proves to us that it was exactly, that he was exactly who he said. It brings us to our second point that proves the resurrection, that tells us that things are meant to change for us. That if Jesus did really forgive... Let me rewind there. Second thing we should be emboldened by is the reality of forgiveness of sin through Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, it shows us that his victory was once and for all over sin. Last week, we talked about how Jesus said, it is finished. And that phrase was meant to mean that it is paid in full, that he has paid the penalty for sin on the cross and he has risen again, victorious over death. The third thing that the Jesus' resurrection proves to us is that there is life beyond the grave. Jesus proved once and for all that it was possible to live even though you die. And that we can trust Jesus when he says that there is life beyond the grave because he has proven it with his own life. 
forth. We should be excited and emboldened because it proves to us that Jesus is still alive today. One of the things that drew me to a Christian faith was that in every other religion, their founders have passed. But Jesus is still living. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. L. Ron Hubbard is dead. If that's any one of those people texting saying I'm not actually dead, don't tell me. (laughs) The Bible tells us that Jesus is still at work on our behalf. Jesus tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem and I will send my helper and I will be preparing a place for you in my father's mansion. The Bible tells us that Jesus is still at work on our behalf, offering strength, comfort, guidance as we live our daily lives. We should be celebrating and we should be emboldened because we've got to understand Jesus is not dead but alive. This means that Christianity is not about principles or theology. It's rather about a person. Now, Jesus provided to us an example of how we live, how to live, I should say, and gave us instructions on how to live. Still, it's meant to be about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about the rules, but rather about following his example. The idea of our service is that we gather to, well, not just to learn more, but to learn how to follow the living Christ. Because here's the important thing. Everything in our faith rests on this resurrection. Everything that we believe hangs in the balance if Jesus rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul tells us that our faith is in vain if Christ had not been raised from the dead. The resurrection is not just an event in history. The resurrection is the event that changes people's lives. If Jesus' resurrection proves all of these things, if it is a landmark event, then our life should be changed by encountering Christ. We should live different. If we really believe in Christ, that he died for us and was resurrected, we should genuinely live differently. My friends, we say all the time that things have changed our lives and those things are truthful. I thought I'd make a list of some of the things that I think have uh, changed my life. Uh, GPS, Google Maps, it's changed my life. I don't know 
Some of you might not remember the old Gregory's. That thing was crazy. At least they were... Well, they were accurate the day they were printed. As soon as they were printed, they were no longer... Anyway, we won't go there. Uh, Netflix streaming services have changed my life. Getting an education has changed my life. Having kids have changed my life. Having a smartphone changed my life. Does anyone else remember in maths class when the maths teacher used to say to you, you won't have a calculator in your pocket? That was a lie. I have a calculator in my pocket. And other things that I don't need, like a compass and a level thing. The internet has changed my life. If I want to know something, do you know what I have to do? Google it. I thought my wife knew everything, but it turns out Google does. My friends have changed my life. Maybe, like me, you think some of those things have changed your life too. But let me ask you this. Has the resurrection of Jesus changed your life? I know you know the right answer. Maybe it's the, uh, the answer that you think I want to hear, but I don't want you to answer too quickly. I want you to take a moment and think. If you say that Jesus re- has been resurrected and has changed your life, then we should be able to give specific examples of how. What are the differences that have resulted in our understanding of Christ risen? What about your life has changed? See, the picture we get from the disciples is that when they knew and they were assured of the resurrection of Jesus, it changed their life. They become different people. They have different priorities. They went, went, as we said, from being defeated and in hiding to being people who boldly proclaimed the gospel message. They went from people who were being concerned about their own comfort to people who were concerned about bringing God's glory to every corner of the globe. The gospel, the resurrection of Christ changed them. The resurrection made all the difference to them. And the resurrection should make us different as well. Because if we're serious, if we're serious in saying that Jesus was dead and rose again, it means that we are saying that he has paid for the sins, the mistakes that you and I have made throughout our lives. We're saying that we believe he continues to live on and offer us help as we should live. That should impact us, right? Suppose we really believe these things about Jesus. In that case, Jesus' resurrection should have far more significant impact on our lives than GPS, internet, or even having children. As I was looking through this idea of how the resurrection should change us, an author gave some good examples, some things 
that should be different in the life of someone who truly believes in the resurrection. It says this. If we truly believe, then we should not be defined by our past mistakes, but be emboldened and grateful because we know we are forgiven. If we truly believe, then we should seek God's help as we face struggles in life, realising that we don't have to live in our own strength because Jesus is still alive and will guide us as we live. If we truly believe, then we should be excited that we have forgiveness and life beyond the grave. So excited that we should want to share that news appropriately with everyone we care about. We should be so excited that we even want to share it and encourage people that we don't know yet. If we truly believe, then we should be joyful because we know that we are forgiven and we will win no matter what happens in this life. If we truly believe, then we should have this perspective that even if things are difficult, this life is not all there is. Living joyful in the knowledge that we will spend eternity in heaven. Someone once asked me, Daryl, how, how can you believe in God with all this suffering around? And my response was, how can I not? Something's got to set the scales right. Because let's face it, if, if it was up to us, we, we're going to make the bad choices. If we truly believe, then we should be willing to offer forgiveness, understanding the difference that forgiveness has made in our lives, and want to extend that type of grace to others. This is the radical change we see in the disciples who believe in the resurrection. They became totally different when they realised Jesus changed everything. They were different because they genuinely believed that Christ had raised. Another writer puts it like this. We don't often think of it this way, but here's an important truth that needs some attention in circles of faith. A belief no matter how sincere, if not reflected in reality, isn't a belief, it's a delusion. The person who claims to believe in the resurrection but is unchanged by that belief doesn't really believe at all. This morning, my friends, my purpose is not simply to call you to remember the story of Jesus raising from the dead. Instead, it's to ask you to consider, though, the impact of that, the impact of those facts on the way that we live. If Jesus is alive, then that has enormous implications. 
If Jesus is alive, it means that you and I can have a real relationship with God. As we prayed earlier, we don't need special ceremonies. We don't need a special person. We have access to God through Christ. It means real relationship. It means that all of our sins, all of our mistakes, they've been paid for. It means life is heading towards something something else rather than simply being random. It means we have someone to follow. We have an example. We have someone we can trust and look to for guidance. It means that we should be participating in discipleship and follow God with energy and devotion. And that should seem so obvious. But it requires more than just simply acknowledging it in our heads. If it's really changed us, then we should live differently. Significant events have changed history. Some events have changed us personally. Some things impact us negatively and make us more cautious in life. Still, the resurrection of Jesus should impact us and make us different. It should energize us and it should excite us. It should cause us to worship to serve, to live with unquenchable joy. And that doesn't mean we don't have times when life is hard and we are sad or melancholy. Rather, it should be an understanding that we, like this is not the end of the story. It should motivate us. When I got that picture and understanding that Jesus died for my sins, I wanted to know him more. I wanted to grow in relationship with him. And I'm sure you feel the same way. It's interesting. We were talking about you know, some of this stuff in SRE a little while ago. And it completely throws the kids a curveball when you're talking about Easter events in the middle of May or June. They're like, wait a second, that's Easter. Why are we talking about it now? My friends, I was asked this question. Why are we looking at this particular idea now? It's because this idea shouldn't just impact us on Easter Sunday. It should impact us every day of our lives. So, how is the gospel the reality of the resurrected Christ changed the way that you and I live? That's the question to discuss over morning tea. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that while we were still far off, you sent your son, Lord, that he was the payment for sins, that he reconciles us to you. Father, may we not take that for granted, but be lived, but live changed. May we be excited by your amazing love. 
May it draw us to, to shout to you, Lord, in good times and in bad. Father, we pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, Lord, but we would be those who are changed. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.